Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by John Booth, a specialist consultant within the data center sector. Good morning, John. Good morning, Andy. Nice to see you on this another sunny day in England. There's two in a row I've done where it's been a sunny English morning. So I need it's to not, I need to highlight that point. <laughs> it's not sunny in the Midlands, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, sunny on the South Coast. Um, it's great to have you on. Obviously, really keen to speak to you, dig into your knowledge around sustainability and energy efficiency. I know you've got some, you know, some great opinions on that. And obviously learn a bit more about yourself, your career, and, and how you ended up where you are today in the data center sector. Before we start, I just want to give a quick introduction of, of who you are and what you do. Yes, yeah, so I'm John Booth. I'm the managing director of a company called Carbon3 IT Limited. We're a sustainable IT consultancy um, and we work primarily in, in data center energy efficiency and sustainability. Um, over the last 12 years, I've managed to get myself kind of ingrained in the sector at, at a quite a interesting level. So I'm the chair of the BSI's TCT73 committee, which is the group that developed the EM5600 and ISO30134 metrics, along with our colleagues in globally. I'm the um, chair of the Data Centre Alliance's Energy Efficiency Group. I'm the vice chair of the British Computer Society's Green IT Specialist Group. I sit on the Infrastructure Mason Sustainability Committee. Uh, I'm also on the advisory board of the Sustainable Digital Infrastructure uh, Alliance as well. So, And then there's a few other bits and pieces. I'm an ISO uh, lead auditor for energy management. Um, and we do training as well for the community. You have no spare time whatsoever. Absolutely not, no. Um, it, it, it is, I have to say, um, when we started the company 10 years ago or 12 years ago, we spent the first three probably years quite... You know, not getting much money in, but we were making a lot of connections within the industry. We we're going to all the industry events, um, just talking to people, seeing what was going on. So I'm I'm pretty well connected. It takes me, you know, if I if I arrive at a, a show, it normally takes me an hour just to get through the front gate and to get to where I need to get to because I'm saying hello to everybody on the stands. Um, so I, I think I've got quite a good reputation and um, relationship with a lot of people in the industry. I'm, I'm known for being independent and honest. You know, I will call a spade a spade and I will call out um, rubbish that I see being talked about. Hopefully we can get some of that on, on this podcast. But I, I always like to go back to the beginning of your career. I think it paints a good picture to the listeners of just how, how individuals started. But I noticed you are another guest and a lot of guests are that started as an apprentice which is great to see. I think it's a great way into any industry. But just interested to know why you chose that career in networks and how you ended up in the data centre sector. Well, it's actually um, quite interesting because my first love is music production. And um, when I was 16, I actually went to the CBS Records um, company in Soho Square uh, as a venture scout um, to see in the production process of how they, they do music. And I was actually offered a messenger job for CBS. Now, you're probably aware that if you, you know, that's your first point into the music business is getting a messenger job. Um, so I, I, I basically came home from school and there was two offers on the, on the table. One was from CBS records and one was from British telecom to be an apprentice. And, um, 
I, I, I thought long and hard about this, you know, which one should I go for? And eventually um, I was persuaded by my parents that the, the most optimum route would be to get an apprenticeship with a, with, a, with an institution. So I ended up um, moving into BT as an apprentice um, in the city of London. And, and I was there during Big Bang and the expansion of the um, of the telecoms network, et cetera. Um, and then from BT, I, I kind of joined a company called Grant & Taylor, which was a structured cabling company. And this was in kind of the early mid 80s, I think. Um, so networking and structured cabling was just coming to the fore. I left Grant & Taylor and worked for a company called Electrical Installations that was part of the Raytheon group. Um, I ended up working for Data Logic, did quite a few big uh, major cabling infrastructure projects, British Steel at Scunthorpe and Teesside, um, Old War Office, uh, Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, projects like that as, as a junior project manager working with uh, more senior guys. Um, and, you know, and that's a great way of learning on the job, as it were. Um, and, there's, you know, it, it is a fantastic way of learning. You know, you have to listen to your peers who are older and, and more experienced than you. And I do remember one particular chap. Um, it, I just started and he said to me, so what do you know? And I, and I was the, the arrogance of youth. And I said, oh, I know everything. And he said, what's the name of my dog? I said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, you don't know everything then, do you? And, and I kind of, that, that really got to me. And I mean, I'm, I'm talking about it you know, 35 years later. So it, you don't know everything. It's impossible to know everything. But you can draw on people that do know. And, and that's why I, I value the network. You know, if I don't know something, I can reach out and talk to people and, and get the information. And likewise, I have many of my colleagues contact me and, and say, oh, I'm doing this. Can, you know, what would you recommend? I mean, I had a, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody and he just said, um, we're doing a data center upgrade and um, you mentioned last week on site about maybe having to get in planning permission for GH, uh, CHP sets. And I said that, well, yeah, you probably will. You know, you can't just turn up and put a gas engine in the, in the car park of a data center and not expect the neighbors to complain. So you might want to just check that out. And my advice to him was, look, in, in any data center project, just speak to the planning officer because the planning officer informally and the planning officer will be able to tell you exactly what's going on in terms of planning um and 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 maybe able to point you into the direction of other areas that you need to account for which is not information you would get um you know off the cuff so it's probably just those, that's the sort of thing i do i'm kind of a, a, an information portal really no excellent I, I love the fact you've highlighted the network as well because i you know I think the data center industry is a great network. I think everyone is really open and happy to help. But on the flip of that is you do need to reach out to people and you do need to ask them. They're not going to come to you and, and give you that advice. It's about, you know, using that network wisely and leaning on the people that, that you do know. Um, I'm sure you've seen quite a few changes in the sector during your career. Is there anything particular that you can think of that as the, where the data center industry has had a sort of a massive shift? I think um, as a result of the dot-com boom in the early 2000s, um, there was a lot of speculative building that went on for data centers. Um, and, and, you know, to be honest, the, the industry per se is only 22 years old, really, um, the commercial selling of, of data center space. So I think that was the biggest shift is, is people going off-premise 
um, and into purpose-built facilities. And of course, let's let's there is no bones about this. Data centers are expensive beasts to build and they're expensive to run. Um, and you know, some organizations do need some help. I mean, I have been into some absolute horror stories of data centers. Uh, I can assure you of that. And um but they, you know, it, it's a thing that you have to carefully consider. You know, lifting and shifting your entire IT estate from a cupboard under the stairs into a, a data center does have risk. You know, and um, I mean, I remember talking to one guy, and he said, oh, "I will never move my stuff in there. It's a security risk." And I was like, "Well, you know, then perhaps you need to think about your security profile and your attack surface." <laughs> um, instead of just completely dissing it off. So, yeah, I mean, I, so the move to um, cloud, I think, or, or data center services and then to the cloud is, is the, it has been the two biggest things. And I've always said that, um, you know, ICT is has two elements in terms of energy efficiency and sustainability. So it's the greening of itself and also the ability to provide greening for everything else, you know. So because we IT has become ubiquitous, it does stretch out through things you wouldn't even think of. Um, and and use the use of IT, you know, it, it's reputed from, the, I think it's the Jesse report, uh, 2020 said that you can get six times the benefit of of it in the wider infrastructure so that's something i'm very keen on is looking from other industries and seeing if we can bring them back into the data center industry yeah and lots of people say that actually about looking at other sectors and you know, i always use nautilus as an example you know nautilus jim Connerton came from the you know the marine sector and he sort of looked and thought well why are they not doing? Why are they, why are they not using water? You know, and it's, it's simple things like that. But you need that level of intelligence and capability to be able to look at it in a in a way and then implement it into the sector. Well, we actually looked at Nautilus um, when even before they built it, they they approached the um, the Cedar program to get get the place in it um, to do that. But I think it was probably a bit early for them. So hopefully. We'll be doing an assessment on on, on the Nautilus uh, facility in um, is it San Francisco, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I've, it, never yeah. Been, I've never been to San Francisco, so no, that's why I could. Well, let's both go over there then. <laughs> we'll visit that one. <laughs> um, obviously, brings us nicely on to sustainability, which I know you're you're really passionate about, and obviously energy efficiency as well. And it's something that. I talk about every episode and when I ask people what the major challenges are, you know, sustainability is always in the top two, if it's not number one. Um, so I just wanted to sort of use your knowledge and, and dig a bit onto that. But to start with, I thought, let's ask, you know, a fairly simple question in, in the, as far as the question goes, but what is sustainability? Okay, well, the strict definition is um to satisfy the needs of today without compromising the needs of future generations to satisfy their own needs. And I think with ICT, that is a real problem because, you know, there is only a certain amount of uh, rare earths and minerals that are used in, in the ICT devices that are available on the planet. And, um, you know, once we've extracted them and refined them for our use and then used them, you know, there isn't any more. So we are already compromising 
future generations in the use of ICT. And I think it's interesting that um, people are talking about landfill sites and actually doing mining on original landfill sites because the yield on landfill is actually higher than what you would get in a conventional mine. Um, but obviously that's a finite resource as well. You know, once we've gone in there and done it, um, it, it, it and, and processed it, it's going to be difficult to find more. Um, so I think that kind of brings into question, you know, the, the recycling element. You know, we need to be doing more in the recycling instead of sending this stuff to landfill. And I know that over the last five or six years, there has been a big drive on recycling. There's the Sadatu project, for instance. There's the um, NS2 in, in Norwich or somewhere over that way that's doing um, extraction, leach extraction of minerals and stuff. <coughs> um, most companies are compelled to do recycling anywhere. I know the WE restrictions or the reg WE regulations, but there is a lot more stuff to do in the recycling of, of, of equipment. And I, the other thing is, I think we've got to break the vicious circle. You know, it's um, it's a fashion item now. You know, I've got my mobile phone here, which is I've just replaced after three years. Um, and you think about, but it's still a phone. It's a it's a device that's connected to the net, um, but it's still a phone. Do you really, you know, why there should only be one reason to replace it, and that's if it's broken. You know, we shouldn't have to go through this continual two, three year cycle. So it's very fashionable to have the latest phone. Um, and I can understand the business model of people like Samsung and Apple, for instance, having to get something out all the time. But then perhaps, you know, in, in the area, you know, the era of sustainability and energy efficiency, perhaps they need to reconsider their business models and, and maybe change it because you can still make money um, from an old device. You just don't need it replacing, you know, imagine if we were, um, if we used cars like that and replaced them every two years. And I know we're going down that road with leasing over three year periods, Um so I think there's a lot of things that need to be done. The, the business models um, for a lot of consumer items need to be re-evaluated. And I think over the next couple of years, you will see a, a kind of change to that. There might even be the leasing of equipment to, to companies so that at the end of its usage, brought back. And of course, remember, I think what's interesting is you don't get any, any say in, in what equipment you're running in a cloud environment. Right. All you're offered is a service. So we've got no clue what the big cloud providers are you running on as hardware um, and also their replacement strategies and refreshment strategies. There was rumours that one of them, the big search engine, was replacing its kit every nine months. Um, but I don't think that is the case. I think they are extending it. I think they recognise that you know this never-ending replacement cycle the vicious circle every two years, three years is changing. Do you think, yeah, well, uh, one point I just wanted to pick up on that, do you think it would be driven by the consumer? Do you think it will be us kind of, or the, yeah, in general, driving the change? Because the question I always ask, like, is it driven by the customer or is it driven by the, the, the you know, the, the client or the operator, whoever it is at the other end? It, it's one of those, isn't it? Like, it's probably a bit of both is the answer, but what are your views? In the Green IT Foundation course that we, we um, teach, um, 
what we say is, is that, you know, children that are going through the education system are being taught sustainable and energy efficiency and basically, you know, a whole raft of different things as, as parts of the whole curriculum. So, so IT and greenness and sustainability and basically looking after the planet, climate emergency, it's all, all in every single subject, really. What that does is when they leave, they get they accumulate a body of knowledge. And then when they leave school and go into college, they, they may be selecting the college or the university they're going to based on the, the you know the green gowns uh, and the sustainability of that of that particular college. And then once they've gone through further education, they they're selecting the companies they work for on the basis of their ESG credentials. Um, and you know, there is, I think there's um there's a building just opposite Cannon Street. I can't recall who it is, but it's like 70% re- um, renewable energy and recyclable. And it's got a completely different makeup to the conventional office environment. Um, and it's all focused on energy efficiency and sustainability. And that was actually driven by the people that work there. You know, somebody said, right, we're going to go into a new building. How should we do this? Well, let's talk to the people that are going to be using that building. And then, so yeah, I think it, it, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. One, it will be driven by these these kind of um, people that are coming out of the education system that are very focused on ESG, the young. And I know, you know, I teach um, a, a data center systems management course to the students at the Birmingham City University. And they are often asking me about, you know, why do we do these things? And I said, well, you know, it, it's your future. You make the change. You decide to make the change. So I'm very supportive of young people and pushing them into and, and to question things. You know, if you don't ask, you won't know. So do that completely. Um, and the, but the other thing is, is that I also think that companies themselves should be a little bit more transparent and, and doing stuff because it's good to do. And, you know, t- we need to take the... And I know this is a very difficult concept to grasp, right? But take that the finance out of it, right? You do something because it's the right thing to do, not because it's going to cost you less or cost you more. Because if you look at some of the ICT infrastructures and the methodologies and, and data center infrastructure, actually paying a premium at the start for a product reaps reams in the operational expenditure side of things so the total cost of ownership is very important um and i do think companies should be doing the right thing for the right reasons um and but they should also be broadcasting this fact you know we do this because this is what happens at the end and we do this you know we're using this product because it's got a lower cost and it's it's less harmful for the environment the, the extraction is better done and sort of things like that so I really haven't answered the question, so it's from both sides, really. But I think both sides have got a part to play. Yes, consumers will be a little bit more picky on who they pick. I mean, we've already seen uh, recently um, customers are being asked about data center services, and they're being asked specifically about energy efficiency, sustainability, and it's really high on the agenda for customers coming in. You know, what are your ESG credentials? Yeah, exactly. And that's what's come up on a lot of these discussions with, you know, CEOs or, or whoever it may be of, of the larger operators. It is now yeah. the customer is asking, it, whereas before they were telling them, like, oh, there, we've yeah. got this, this is our ESG, whereas now the the, client, the customer's coming to them and saying, what is your, your ESG credentials? Yeah, and I think the problem is, is that not all of the um, co-location and, and cloud players are actually 
um, fully transparent. It's a very, I mean, we, we're doing a sustainability benchmarking exercise for a client at the moment, and we did one for one last year, where we compared all of the ESG aspects um, of various companies. And, you know, what were they reporting? What was their overall energy consumption? How many ISOs did they have? Um, have they had any building accreditations, et cetera, for the particular sites? And it's really difficult to, to actually be able to go, right, um, I want to look at these five companies and, and whether or not there's any commonality within what they're actually saying. And I think that's that's a question for the industry to be more transparent, but also do it in a, standards, a standardised methodology so that you can go in and find out exactly how much energy a particular site's used and compare it to another site and then ask the question, why are they using more energy than you? You know, what is Yeah, That makes perfect sense to me from the outside. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I was, as I said earlier, I was on, I was delivering a presentation on sustainability to IT Sligo students last night. And and one of the things um, we talk about was the infrastructure mason sustainability framework. And in the, in the framework, it, there's a very strong focus on transparency. But we need to have some kind of, um, for instance, like the ISO 30134 metrics, which is the standardized data center KPIs, which includes PUE, renewable energy factor, energy reuse factor, carbon utilization, water utilization, et cetera. People are citing them in documents and at events and then you say well what's your how, how are you calculating this and they go well, we use the green bread methodology well you know, i'm sorry but the green bread methodology for calculating that was you know 10 years ago and it's now a standard so you should be calculating it to a standard because otherwise you're just confusing the market so there's a lot of work to do on there but it's included in the framework and it and, and myself and other colleagues that are active in this space have been continually going to events and saying, look, guys, if you're going to report your power utilisation effectiveness, make sure that you're doing it in, as per the way that it's mentioned in the standard, not some, you know, some method that you're using that you've heard about 10 years ago. Yeah, I did another, I did what, an episode on PUE with Mark Acton, just sort of talking about okay. it and we'll quickly touch on it quickly. But, you know, like the, the biscuits, what is PUE for a start? You know, you get this announcement from a data centre operator saying, we're building this new facility, the PUE is 1.18. No explanation of what 1.18 means. And that's great for people in the sector, but if you want to increase the perception of it, and like you were saying earlier, say what you're trying to do to increase sustainability or improve it, tell them what, <laughs> what that actually means. And I think that's really important. Well, you know, many, many years ago, I remember going to an event. I mean, this is, I think it was Data Centre well when it was at Olympia. So that's a long time ago. And I walked in and there was a stand there. I'm not going to refer to the name of the company because that would be rude. But um, one of the girls went, oh, would you like to come and hear about our data centre? We've got a PUE of 1.1. And I said, well, why are you talking to me? You must be full. And she called him, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, a PUE of 1.1 to me would indicate that the facility is fairly full because the utilization has gone up. Um, so why are you talking to me? You, you haven't got any space. And she went, Oh, Oh, I, mm, I, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And I said, 
yeah, you probably need to know about PUE before you start searching those things. And I remember going to another event, and I think it was um, another data centre. Again, I'm not going to mention them because of, of the embarrassment factor. But they actually said, oh, we've got a PUE of 0.98. Uh, um, hold on a minute. You can't go below one. Oh, yeah, but we've got solar panels on the roof. No, that doesn't really count. Oh, okay. But they, did, I think they, that was a calculated decision. They did that because they wanted to be controversial. And, and and get people to say, but you can't do that. Uh, oh, well, yes, we can. But then let's show you how we explain how we do things. And we've got this solar panel. Yeah, okay, right. Well, that, that brings us on quite nicely, actually, to renewable energy, which is another topic I know you're, you're passionate about. And I, again, I, I did a podcast with, with Chad Harris in uh, Riot Blockchain out in the States in Texas, building a Bitcoin mining facility. And I talked to him about renewable energy. And he said, are they, you know, Texas are always saying you need to use renewable energy, but there isn't really any renewable energy to use. So it's sort of a bit of a misconception about you can only use what's available. So what's your views on the, the words or the phrase renewable energy? Oh, it drives me potty, to be honest. Um, my view, so we have seen a drive over the last probably two years uh, of companies saying, oh, we're using 100% renewable energy. Right. And, and you go, OK, fine. So you just know from the from who they are and where they're located that that's all virtual power purchase agreements. And they're basically paying a premium for green energy. Um, and, I, and I think what, what annoys me the most is that they're, they're, they're kind of promoting this as some, something good. Right. And it is something good. But um, I always resort back to my mantra, which is an inefficient data center powered by renewable energy is still an inefficient data center. And I remember many years ago um, speaking to some guys from Iceland and talking to them about energy efficiency. And they looked at me as if to say, but but we are completely 100% renewable in Iceland. We have geothermal, we have hydro. And, and, and like energy was too cheap and, and too plentiful for them to be worried about energy efficiency. And I said, you know, just because you're using renewable energy doesn't mean that you abdicate all of your responsibility for the other kind of energy efficient measures that you can take place just because you've got renewable energy doesn't mean you should waste it and i felt that, that some countries are wasting uh, because they're not doing anything else and some, and some companies are as well now and i'll go back to what i said you know an inefficient data center powered by renewable energy is still an inefficient data center and if you look at any energy efficiency program, what, what they say to do is, you know, you turn off all of your um, stuff you don't need, optimise what's left, and then and only again go to power it all by renewable energy. And I think a lot of the companies have jumped straight from the status quo into, oh, we're all powered by renewable energy without looking at what they can do. And I've seen this, you know, I've been to data centre science where, they, they're still using a caged environment and no hot and cold aisle alignment at all. So you've got heat coming out of the service going into the input. I mean, it's the right bad old days. This is like, you know, 20 years ago we were doing this. And yet there are still companies that do this. So anybody with a caged environment, please, 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 please go into hot and cold aisle alignment and, and better still contain the environments and you will save yourself a shed load of money. Now, I know this because I went to a data center in Mexico in a caged environment with all the servers, none aligned, and 
I said to them, look, please look at the code of conduct, and we'll probably talk about that in a moment. Uh, go to go to hot hole, and then think about containment. And I didn't think they were going to do it, you know. And they came back to us within four months and said, right, we persuaded all of our customers to go to cold aisle alignment um, by offering them free hosting for a month. We did all the work. And we've saved 40,000 euros in air conditioning a month, right? That's 1.2 million euros a year just by going from a caged environment to hot, cold environment. And then if you contained it over the top, I'm sure there'd be another amount of money to be saved. And, you know, you still get the same security. You can put a, a key print, thumbprint, or key fob access control on the front of your cabinet you can put it on the on the door of the cabinet so you, you know this security aspect that some and it is you know this is security from the 90s um there's all sorts of the security element has increased somewhat and to be fair you know when was the last time you heard of a data center actually being broken into uh, and data stolen from inside the facility very very rare the most of the time you'll you'll hear about it it's oh it was hacked via the internet which is the preferred method you know who wants you know if you are a hacker or we want to find information out the last thing you're going to do is break into a facility so i think we somebody one of the other things is is that you know risk and security of data centers i think has probably has been taken as far as it can go and we really, really, the industry really needs to reconsider the perception of risk and how it applies it, um, because that will reduce cost. And if we start reducing cost, and then we can maybe, and I'm sure the security companies are screaming at me now, ah, we like catches. But, you know, again, um, we're in a different world. We, you know, sustainability and energy efficiency are going to be important moving forward and companies are going to have to adapt or die, to be honest. And um, if you're, so here's a note, if you're making cages, you might want to think about doing this, <laughs> moving into a different market. Free advice for you. And there is actually a famous uh, London data centre hoist, isn't there, from, uh, I always forget what, like from about the, is it the 80s or 90s where they actually broke into a data centre and stole the, the chips? They did. That was Deutsche Bank, actually. Um, and that was during the great chip shortage, memory shortage. Um, but that was, I, I hesitate to say this, Rhea. I think um, it was so slick. That yeah, that's what it is. There's an actual, uh, I saw it on TV, I think, or, or yeah. read a book about it. It's, it's worth looking up anyway, listeners. Have a look. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a good story in a bad way. <laughs> it, was, it was well slick because they basically got in um, they actually, I think they did hurt the security guard, but they knew exactly where they were going, right? And they knew exactly what servers to go for. And they were in and out in a very short period of time. Um, and the first anybody knew about it was, I think, in the knock operations when all of a sudden all of these servers started going on. Going on. Yeah, and I think it, it was a classic getaway on a boat up the Thames as well, I think, if I, if I remember rightly. It was very well structured. <laughs> uh, Surprise me. But anyway, um, brings us on quickly, just before we sort of obviously running out of time, but from a regulation in the sector, and, you know, it's something, again, a lot of people are asking, will we see more government regulation? You know, where do we sit right now? But from an energy efficiency and sustainability perspective, you know, what's available and how do you see it changing in the next sort of few years? 
Okay. Do you want me to talk about the EU side of things or, or just in the UK? Because I think we'll, well, I'll, I'll talk about the EU, right? So I think one of the biggest problems is, is that um, we don't actually have a steer on how much energy is being used by um, data centers and server rooms per se. We have some estimates and, you know, these estimates are all very well-meaning and that may give you their calculation. But every time I look at one, I go, well, you know, you've completely missed the distributed IT that is in, um, that are server rooms in organizations under stairs, little cupboards, you know, four or five rack facilities with two air conditioning units that are probably the most energy inefficient. So we, we, we don't know. All we have is, is some of the big, you know, I think the latest thing was it's like 1.1% of global energy is used for data centers. The thing is, though, is to look through the, the, the smoke and the mirrors that is applied to that, because that only applies to hyperscale and co-location data centers. Um, and they are, you know, the, the, it's the, they're the top of the iceberg, right? And it's what's underneath the iceberg that we really need to be worried about. So we did some assessment back in the after the climate change agreement in the UK um, back in 2017. And the data that came back said that there was, I think it was 2.579 terawatt hours used um, in the UK in, in that previous reporting period. And it had something like 130 odd data centers in there. Um, so I kind of did a very basic um, research and I, I looked at the Bayes and the um, government websites and fi find out how many uh, or found out how many organisations there were that had over 250 employees based on the fact that they were more likely to have a on-site server room and maybe not be in the cloud. And we found out that there were 33,000 businesses that had um, over 250 employees and then there was a further 7,000 that had over a kind of a thousand employees so we kind of extrapolated it up and um, we worked out that there was probably 80,000 small server rooms um, in the UK and that spread amongst government academia police um, five commercial enterprises etc and that each um and we did extrapolate this. We said that there were probably about 50 IT items within a server room, um, including servers, network storage. And that overall, they would cost around 57,000 a year to run. And if you multiplied that by the 80,000, then you get between um, four and six billion pounds used in energy consumption for ICT equipment, depending on the tariff. Because obviously some organisations would have a, a quite a good tariff and others would have a, you know, a straightforward commercial tariff. And that actually equated to 41 terawatt hours, which was 12% of the UK um, energy grid. And, you know, I, I when I finished that research, I went, I think it was actually in November. So I went to a few of the big shows and I spoke to various people at quite high level that, that talk about this. And I mentioned this study and none of them, none of them pushed back and said, that's, that's rubbish job, right? You know, they all said, yeah, big problem. <laughs> One that's hidden. Um, I think what's happened in the EU 
is that they are recognizing that it is causing problems in energy consumption, but also the location of where that energy is being used. And they have, in their recent Fit 55 proposals, put um, kind of mandatory data center registry for each member state to create. Um, that's a good thing until you look to see where the threshold is. Okay. And actually, the proposal to lower the threshold was actually put forward by a co-location operator that said, you know, if we're going to if we're going to have a mandatory registry, which we're quite happy to have, but we need to find out exactly and we need to cover all data center type operations, remote edge, etc. And also commercial on premise, small data centers, 50, 100 kilowatts. So if that proposal gets approved by the European Parliament, then it will be enacted in the revision of the Energy Efficiency Directive. And then we'll get a really accurate steer on exactly how much energy there is. And the, the drawback being, obviously, then also governments will know about this and they will then potentially have some um, regulations that they wish to apply. Now, in the UK, it's a bit laissez-faire, to be honest. So the only thing we've got is the Climate Change Agreement, which only applies to commercial data centres. The rest of the energy consumption is is kind of captured in the ESOS regulations, the Energy Saving Opportunity Scheme regulations, and potentially the SECA regulations, which is the Streamlined Energy and Carbon Reporting regulations. But I, the, 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 the former, the ESOS regulations, is merely the identification of an opportunity. You are not compelled to actually act upon the opportunities that you've identified. And I suspect that the next, and of course that, that was, that legislation arose out of the Energy Efficiency Directive from the EU, Article 7 and 8. And I know that the Article 7 and 8 does plan for the next phase to be, right, so you've had three phases where you've identified opportunities. The fourth phase is, you know, get your finger out, start spending some money and act upon those, you know, the opportunities you've identified. <clears throat> I think... You know, the UK government has been focused on on one thing um, over the last six or seven years, and, and maybe energy has kind of um, fallen to the point. But what has come in stark kind of uh, realisation is, is that, hold on, guys, you know, energy is spiking now big time. I, I think sooner rather than later, there will be some sort of regulation in the UK on data centres. Um, and it, it would be down to me and some of my colleagues that operate at this level to kind of shape government policy on this because we don't want a kind of blanket, you know, bosh, this is what's going to happen. It needs to be the problems of energy efficiency and data incentives need to be understood by regulators before they start legislating on them um, because that can lead to, you know, perverse incentives. Um and using PUE, for instance, as a as a measure of efficiency, you know, is fraught with danger because you know most people. You could even, you know, if you wanted to, you could go right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put lighting, task lighting, into USB sockets on servers, um, and I'm gonna put my data into darkness. And I and then I would look at somebody who who said that to me and go, "You're mad," because 
lighting accounts for something like 0.5% of a data center's energy consumption. Um, I'd be more impressed if you started using free cooling or um, had an active, um, you know, linking server use with rear door cooling, um, you know, and, and some of the newer concepts and technologies. Whatever happens, I know that the professional sector will be kicking back on any proposal that comes out of government um, because that's what, you know, that's what they're paid to do. Uh, but I think that they're slowly but surely, I think they're recognising that, you know, we are in a different era and energy efficient and um, sustainability is very important. And that, you know, it will be a question of if you don't do this, we're just going to legislate you. Um, <laughs> and it, it, in some cases, it might be, you know, to the point of the company goes bust. Um, I've been saying all year as well. It's, it's like, before we finish up, but it's, it's good news that, People are talking about the industry, it's, you know, but that also creates problems, doesn't it, or challenges it. It creates, you know, eyes from outside onto the sector. Whereas when we were under the radar, which we very much were for, you know, only a few years back, people didn't really know what was happening. Whereas now they do, and that will drive the regulation. I think, yeah, the uh, the biggest. I do think some sections of the industry did shoot itself in the foot with the climate neutral data centre pact, um, you know, because they went. Um, <laughs> they basically said, oh, look, we don't really want to be regulated by you, but we'll have a self-regulatory pact. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll cover the, the main things and then we'll, and we'll report on those. Um, and then, um, you know, and, and then hopefully you won't legislate. And the, and the commission went, oh, well, fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, so you're going to get all these companies to report the data to you, are you? Okay. Yeah. No, no, you're going to report it to us, <laughs> um, which is why they've got the, the, um, the that that proposal for the mandatory data center energy, which actually does include, you know, you've got to provide your energy consumption, where it's sourced from, um, what level it is, um, your water usage, uh, and other things that are in there. So, um, if, if you were looking at it from a pack perspective, have you been successful, or have you been successful in gathering all these trade organisations across Europe and, and some of these big players into it? Um, to fight the government, um, but unfortunately that battle has been lost because the, the, the government have just said, yeah, well, if you're going to report this data, give it to us and then we'll take we'll it. Take it. So, um, yeah, and I think, so the, the discussions between the Climate Neutral Data Centre Pact and the European Commission are ongoing, but we've got to remember that some of the players that are in the pact are also based in Europe, in, in the UK, and whatever happens in Europe, you know, they're not going to have two different systems. Right. You know, why would they? They're not going to have a UK only system. They'll, they'll just use the EU regulations and apply them to their own state. And then, and, you know, the UK government to go, yeah, you know, let's accept that data because we know it, it, its provenance and how it's been calculated, et cetera. So, and that's if, you know, they do that. I think the problem we've got in the UK is that in the commission, there is a separate data center and cloud group contained within DG Connect. So the digital, the Director General for Connection, which is digital infrastructure and, and all things digital, there is a separate cloud and data center unit. In the UK, to be honest, I don't know where the data center unit is, right? And I work in this sector. Um, I have a suspicion it's buried deep in the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, which again would be, well, why is it in there? Um, 
And, and I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding of how actual, how important the digital sector is to the UK. You know, it should have its own separate department, in my opinion, for all things digital. And, and then there should be a, a separate department within government, within that department that's concentrated solely on data centers uh, in terms of regulation and, and information gathering, which can, can be cascaded up. But, you know, at the moment, I'm, I'm, we're talking to Bayes. We've been talking to the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. We've been talking to other people um, with it, you know, the Infrastructure Projects Authority, for instance. So there's at least three different bodies in the UK government that has, if not direct um, responsibility for, they are definitely got their spoon in the pot and they're stirring it. Um, and I think, you know, from, from just from an industry perspective, just have one regulator and one person to talk to rather than spreading across three. Yeah. Definitely, no, yeah, and hopefully the right person is listening to this uh, to this episode, and, and they uh, and they can do that for us. But obviously, you've shared some great insight into sustainability. I think you've offered some excellent advice as well to people. But there's one question I ask everyone, just as a final question. And I know you work with you know a lot of young people, so I'm quite interested to hear your views. But if there's one piece of advice you could give to anyone looking to work in the sector, what would it be? Okay, so if you're in the south of England, um, at what age range are we talking about? School? Any age. Okay, well, so, so obviously um, anybody who lives in the Slough area um, that wants to get into the data centre career, there's the, the new UTC, which is opened up at Slough, run by CNET and, and the um, Slough guys. So that, that would, it's a great entry point into, for, to get a career in, in the Slough area. But, you know, data centres are global. So if you're um, if you're kind of going into college and you're in the Birmingham area, then perhaps come on my uh, Birmingham City University uh, data center systems management module, which is kind of like a data center 101 over 12 weeks, and we go into some serious detail on everything data center related. Um, yeah, it, it's an intro, It's a great opportunity, and if, in terms of education. You could you could do a conventional apprenticeship and go this the route that most people have done, which is either a mechanical or electrical apprenticeship or even an IT um, apprenticeship, and then you know you'll be warmly welcomed into the data center area. But not to forget that you know a data center is a business like any other, so it has marketing, it has sales, it has management. Um, so you can still be involved in the industry, um, you know, and not get your hands dirty, um, and don't have to wear overalls and, and corporate. You know protection um you can still do that and of course there's there's all of the supply chain you can work in i mean at the moment you know uh, i think from recent reports i've read three hundred thousand jobs in the data center industry before 2025 or 2030 uh, globally um and if you get yourself a job safe with somebody like equinix or global switch or interaction um you can move within companies. So if you fancied a little trip to Australia and working in an Aussie data center, then I'm sure that there'll be vacancies that you could apply for internally. Um, and, you know, people might want to go to China or Japan or some places where they would never experience going. The industry is, is spreading, you know, um, the amount of new builds and, and, and you're great at pushing out your, your, 
newsletter, weekly newsletter of, of where the new builds are happening. You know, from from my point of view, I, I, look, I read them sometimes and I think there's, there's more more energy, more more resources being consumed. Um, but on the on the flip side of that, you know, we are spreading the only fifty percent of the world are online. Right, so that, that we, for whatever infrastructure we've got now, we're going to have to duplicate just to get the rest of the world online. So yeah, go on a training course. There's, there, the, the opportunities for working in the data center industry are huge globally, um, and you'll be more than welcome to come in. You know, it's it's a it's a great job. You know, I've been doing it for. Some since years. 19, <laughs> some years, yeah. I think, um, in fact, uh, 41 years I've been working. So, you know, 1981 I started uh, as a BT apprentice, and now we're here in 2022. I've got my own business, um, hopefully respected around the world, um, speak on a regular basis. I've had, the, you know, the, in the last 12 years, I've had the best fun I've ever had. You know, I've, I've been to Australia, I've been to South America, I've been to America, I've been to... Europe, uh, Asia, Pac, India, loads of times I've met people in the industry. Um, we've, all, we've all got the same problems, right? The only different, you know, and I often said, you know, if you're inside a data set, or you, when I worked for the foreign office um, doing installed stuff, sometimes you'd be in, in a room working on a computer and you get so wrapped up in it, you didn't know, you couldn't, you forgot where you were. Right, because they're exactly the same, and you walk out, and you'd only know where you were on the temperature and humidity. <laughs> so you'd come out in the middle. I mean, I did, um, I did uh, one in India, one in Cambodia, and um, one in Belarus, and um, yeah, the two, the two kind of Indian and Cambodian ones come out very hot. You know, even at eight o'clock in the evening, it was hot and humid. Uh, and Belarus was fucking breezing. Um, so yeah, no, and I think I think that's a, a great way to finish it though, because I think fun is a brilliant word to describe this sector, and, I, and no one's really said that before. And you know, everyone shares similar, but it is a really fun industry, and everyone in it is is a is a it's a great bunch of people. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've only got to go to some of the trade events and uh, kind of swag an invite to uh, a little. And you can have some fun. <laughs> you can have a lot of fun, um, and I have had a lot of fun. I think. What was it um, Billy Mack said in um, Love Actually, right at the end? We've had a lot of fun. And we have had a lot. Of, I've had a lot of fun. Exactly. Yeah, and, so, and what a great way to end it. I really appreciate your time, John. You shared an excellent insight into you know, your career, but also sustainability, energy efficiency, renewable energy, buzzwords that we all talk about, but maybe we don't really know what they mean. And hopefully now a few people do. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, actually. Um, yeah, I'll, yeah. it's been a busy week and it's going to get busier. Exactly, and we'll do it again sometime. We will. Okay, great. Thanks, John. Take care. Thank, yeah, and you. Thanks, Andy.